Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Norton. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. Thanks for joining us in person or online. Um, question, have you ever been watching a movie uh, where everything is going really well and you have a sneaking suspicion something is about to go very wrong, right? And, uh, and whenever that does happen, the car crashes or the bomb explodes or the guy cheats on his wife or whatever bad thing happens, you can always go back and see some clues or some hints that were, that were happening in the background that sort of showed you something was about to go on. We're in this series, it's called You Lost Me at Leviticus, and we're reading through this book of Leviticus. It's a really strange book, and uh, it, you might not think of it as a story, um, because there's a lot of rules and instructions and rituals in there, um, but it really is a story. It's about these people of Israel and how they're figuring out what it means to be God's people and how they're going to live with him and how they're going to relate to him. And if you happen to be joining us for the first time this morning, um, you're probably wondering why we're doing this book. Um, Maybe it's best for you to go back and listen to the first message in the series. All that stuff is online and that'll explain to you why we think it's important to read through this. Um, But last week, we're sort of walking through this book. Last week, we read uh, chapters 8 and 9 together in Leviticus. And just real quickly, it was all about this super elaborate ceremony that lasted for seven days where the tent of meeting was dedicated. The tent of meeting, it's also called the tabernacle, was this big courtyard, and inside it there was a tent, and this would be where all the Israelites would come to meet with God or to bring their gifts or sacrifices to God. And so there was this elaborate seven-day ceremony to dedicate that space. They also dedicated and consecrated the priests. Aaron and his sons would be the first priests, and they were going to be in this significant leadership position of overseeing the space and overseeing, um, helping the people of Israel uh, figure out what it means to live and relate with God and to bring these gifts and these sacrifices to him. And so they do this for seven days. And then it says on the eighth day, it's like opening day. On the eighth day, Aaron takes his role and his sons take their roles as the priests, and they offer the first sacrifices with the people And uh, it's this huge uh, ceremony that's going on. And there's a couple of things that stand out about that that really lead into the story we're going to read today. The two things that I noticed or I took away from last week are this. Number one, uh, Moses and Aaron do everything during those seven days and then the one day. They do everything that God tells them to do down to the very detail. If you remember, if you happen to read through those chapters, it says over and over and over. In fact, it says 16 times. I went back and counted. 16 times it says, they did exactly as the Lord commanded them. And it's like God is saying, do this here, and then go sprinkle this oil over here, and then go bring this animal over here, and then put these clothes on at this point, and then go outside the camp and do this. And it's like detail after detail after detail, they're being told to do all of these things. And it says that every step of the detail, they follow exactly as God commanded them. And one of the things we said is because the details matter. The details are significant, even the details of our lives. What we do when we wake up in the morning, our little micro rituals or mini rituals, those details matter. The second thing from that elaborate ceremony that stood out is that this is the high point of Israel's history so far. 
They're a young nation. They were just saved from slavery in Egypt by God. And, and, and they're learning that God is going to be different than the other gods that everybody else worships. God is different than the gods of Egypt. God is not going to put them in slavery. God welcomes them and loves them and invites them into his presence. And so they have this huge initial ceremony to celebrate that. And it says sometime on that day, the eighth day, sometime on that day, the, the, they just become innately and acutely aware of God's presence there. The fire gets really big and uh, they have this huge bonfire where they're offering sacrifice. It gets really big and it's symbolic of God's presence among them. And it says that they shout for joy. And the Hebrew word used there for shouting for joy, it's the first time it's ever used in the Bible. And it means to just spontaneously uh, have these emotions where something happens and you just let your emotions go and so you shout or you sing or, or, or you just respond with just overwhelming joy. And then it says they fall down on their faces. They're in awe of this reality that they are God's people and he loves them and he is with them and they're going to live out this new order for the world as his people. And then the next thing that happens is this, chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And I'm just going to read through the story. If you brought a Bible, you can read along. It's Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible. Chapter 10, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, just listen to the story. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers And a censer was this little uh, box that they would carry around or a little container that the priests had where they could carry hot coals from one fire to another fire. So if they needed to start a new fire, they could go to an existing fire and put some coals in it and carry that over to a new fire. So it says, two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, they put fire in them, so that would be burning coals, and added incense... And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. Now, we'll discuss what unauthorized fire means in a second, but here's the key. They did something contrary to the Lord's command. We've been told over and over and over, 16 times, in fact, in the last two chapters, do this, do this, do this, and they did everything uh, according to the Lord's command, and this is the first time we're told that they did something that they were not supposed to do. Verse 2, so fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people I will be honored. Which is a pretty terrible thing to say to a dad who just lost his two sons. And so after that, it says Aaron remained silent. Which of course he did. What else would he do? What, what, what do you say in a moment like this? The story continues. Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphon, sons of Aaron's uncle, Uziel, and he said to them, Come here, carry your cousins 
outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. And so they came and carried them, still in their tunics, those were their priestly garments, outside the camp as Moses ordered. And then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, so here we find out that Aaron had at least four sons who had become priests, Two of them just died, and the other two are there with him, probably stunned by everything that's happening. And Moses says to Aaron and the two remaining sons, do not let your hair become unkempt, and do not tear your clothes. And we're wondering, what in the world is that about? Well, these two things were symbolic of grief in that culture. Whenever someone was mourning, a way of publicly showing your anguish was to to pull out your hair and to tear your clothes. It was a way of saying something horrible has happened and I'm in anguish and I'm in mourning. And basically Moses is saying to Aaron and his two remaining sons, don't do that right now. He goes on and says, or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community But your relatives, all the Israelites, they may mourn for those that the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. And so they did as Moses said. This phrase, the Lord's anointing oil is on you, means uh, that oil was used to anoint them when they were functioning as priests. So basically what Moses is saying is, you're still priests, There's still work for you to do. The day is not over. The rituals are not done. The ceremony's not complete. I know what just happened is terrible, but there's still work to do. So you can't mourn right now. You can't stop what you're doing right now. You need to keep doing your job. And apparently, they do. What a disturbing story, right? I mean, this is not a fun story to preach on. <laughs> this is one of those stories where I'm going to be looking back and going, why didn't we just skip that one? You know, just we could have skipped chapter 10 and people would, would have never known it, right? We could have just moved on. I mean, why, why is this story even included in here? Well, it raises a couple of questions that we just have to wrestle with at this point. Uh, the first is obviously, what is this unauthorized fire? What did they do that was so terrible? And then the second question is more obvious. Why did God kill them as a result? How could anything they would have done be so horrible that God would kill them? And if if you've been with us for several weeks and you might say this morning, this is the point at which you lost me in Leviticus, right? Maybe you made it through all the rituals and all the instructions and all the sacrifices and blood and guts that we've been reading about for the last few weeks. But this is the point where a couple of guys do make some mistake that's not even really explained and God kills them. That's where you lost me in Leviticus. So we'll wrestle with that in a second. Let's start with the first question. What did they do that was actually so bad? Well, it says they offered unauthorized fire, and the Hebrew word that's used here is is literally the word for strange. They offered strange fire, or foreign fire, or profane fire, something not normal, something foreign or different, or and and that's why unauthorized is actually probably a helpful translation for us in English. They, They did something that they weren't supposed to do. 
And we're not really sure what it was. It doesn't explain. So rabbis, Jewish rabbis, for centuries have debated this. Because remember, the Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible. They've debated this for centuries. What did Nadab and Abihu do that was so bad? So here's just a few suggestions. One idea is that they took this fire into the Holy of Holies. So this big tabernacle had a big courtyard, and out in the courtyard was the altar where they offered sacrifices. And then there was a tent in the middle, and when you went into the tent, the high priest went into the tent, that was called the holy place, and there were a few things in there. One of those things was an altar of incense, and then just past that was the most holy place, or what's sometimes called the holy of holies. And only one time a year was the high priest supposed to go into the most holy or holy of holies place. So one thought is maybe Nadab and Abihu got some fire and put it into their censers. They decided to go in and offer incense and they, maybe they weren't supposed to do that. And they went to the altar of incense inside the tent and then they went into the most holy place, which would have been totally forbidden. Uh, another possibility is maybe just when they offered incense, they did it on this altar of incense inside the tent, and they did it in the wrong way. They used coals from a place outside of the camp. Maybe that's what they did, and they didn't take it from the main fire where they were supposed to. Uh, maybe they didn't include the right ingredients. There's prescriptions for exactly what that incense should include, and maybe they didn't include the right ingredients for offering the incense. Uh, maybe they did it at the wrong time of day. There's instructions later in Leviticus about when the incense should be burned and when it shouldn't. So you walk through all those, and, and some of those feel a bit unlikely, right? Because it doesn't seem like they just made a mistake, it seems like they did something more willful, right? It doesn't seem like they were going, oh, we weren't supposed to put cinnamon in, but we put cinnamon in the incense by accident, and that's one of the ingredients. You know, it, it doesn't seem like it's something like that. It, it seems like whatever they did was, was defiant, or, or it was willful, or, more, or, or maybe it was just, it was totally careless or reckless, They did something they weren't supposed to do. Maybe whatever they did was out of pride or arrogance. Maybe they decided we're going to do something special. We're going to offer incense and and we're not supposed to do that right now, but we're going to do it. Or we're going to do kind of our own fireworks on the incense altar. So everyone will look at us and say, you know, man, those priests are really good priests, right? And that, that seems kind of silly, but anyone who ever does anything in front of other people, always has that temptation. Maybe I should do something and everyone will say how awesome I am and maybe that takes the focus off of where it should really be. Here's one other option. Maybe they were drunk at the time. Maybe they actually made a mistake, but the reason they made a mistake in the order and the things they were supposed to do is because they were totally drunk. And on a day when they should have taken this responsibility most seriously, they didn't. They were goofing off and they started drinking and they got drunk and they were just, I mean, they, they were, and you might be thinking, well, where do we get that from? Well, look at the very next Verses, chapter 10, verse 8, it says, right after this happens, then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, 
between the unclean and the clean, and so that you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. So right after this happens, maybe God is saying to Aaron, this is why your sons died. When you serve as priests, it is a holy calling. You are to show the people what holiness and purity and living what God looks like, and you're to be an example and when you get drunk, you're, not, you're doing the exact opposite of that if you're trying to do that while you're fulfilling this calling and this duty. Now, maybe they weren't drunk at the time at all. Maybe God just uses this occasion to say, hey, by the way, Aaron, um, if you're ever thinking about drinking on the job, don't do that because that will also be a different way that you could take this calling very unseriously, right? We, we, we just don't know. It doesn't fully explain, but whatever they did, whatever they did, it was contrary to what God told them to do, which still leaves the question, why in the world would God kill them? Because that, I mean, if it was any of those options, I mean, any of the things we've talked about might be bad, but it doesn't seem like they would justify being killed. And this is where I would actually ask you to back up and ask a little bit of a different question first. And I I mentioned this the very first week of the series. I think we need to back up and ask this question. Why is this story included in Leviticus? And and why is it told in this way? Why, Why would it be remembered in this way? Because the Bible, the Old Testament, the books of the Bible, they were, they were put together years later, and they were put together, and, and, and Hebrew leaders decided these are going to be the books that we're going to read over and over, and that are going to be our sacred scriptures. Why did they include this story at that time? I mean, if you wanted to make the Bible more palatable to read, if you wanted to, to give God a little bit of a better impression, if you wanted later generations to read this, you would not have included this story. So why was it included and why was it described in this way? Because if you stop and think about it, this whole story could have been interpreted very differently. There's a different explanation that you could offer for this story, an explanation that doesn't really raise questions about God, that doesn't raise significant questions about what's going on. Remember that the last chapter ended with their, it's the eighth day and they're having this big ceremony and suddenly the fire gets really huge and, and it's interpreted as God's presence has come and the people shout for joy because God is here with us. Someone else might have told the story this way. Here's what happened. The priest threw a whole bunch of wood on the fire And about 10 or 15 minutes later, it finally all caught at the same moment and the fire just exploded and it got huge, right? If anybody's ever had a campfire, you know that that can happen. And then maybe there were these two sons that were there and they were priests and they were goofing off and they wanted to go put coals in their censers and maybe they were being careless Maybe they were being silly. Maybe they actually were drunk, but they got too close to the fire. They weren't supposed to go near the fire. They were told, don't go near it, but they got too close and they fell in and nobody could save them until they burned to death. 
If you've ever been near a large bonfire or you've ever been around people who are really drunk near a large bonfire, you know that this is a possible scenario, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that we have to remove the supernatural elements from this story or from all stories in the Bible, uh, that we always have to find some sort of natural explanation for things. There's always going to be stories in the Bible that have a mysterious element. There's always going to be stories. I mean, if it's a book about God, we would expect there would be stories that contain some element that we cannot get our minds around. That's the mystery of God. But it's also possible that Nadab and Abihu were being careless on this day. They were being arrogant. They were being disrespectful. Maybe they were drunk. Maybe they simply got too close to the fire. And when they did, everyone stopped and said, whoa, you don't mess with God. This is what happens when you don't take him seriously. I mean, he loves us and he welcomes us and he wants to live with us and he wants to be involved in our lives. But he also wants us to honor him and respect him And take our time when we meet with him seriously. Now, maybe you've still got tensions with the story. And those tensions are good and they're healthy and we'll wrestle with them a little more. We're doing a podcast every week and we'll talk about this story more this week. But but Moses didn't have tensions with this. Moses just says, let's keep going. Guys, you still got a job to do. We're not even done with the day yet. And so he just keeps moving on. And look at what happens next, because the second part of the story is equally important to the first part. Look at what happens next. Verse 12, Moses said to Aaron and his remaining sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Take the grain offering left over from the food offerings prepared without yeast and presented to the Lord and eat it beside the altar, for it is most holy. Eat it in the sanctuary area because it is your share and your son's share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. For so I have been commanded. But you and your sons and your daughters may eat the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. Eat them in a ceremonially clean place. And then it just goes on and there's a whole bunch of details about how they should should do this. So Moses is saying to the other sons and to Aaron, like the day is not over yet. We still have things to do with these sacrifices. And if you remember some of the instructions, Moses is saying there's grain left over from the grain offerings and there's meat left over from the sin and maybe the fellowship offerings. And if you remember, the priests are supposed to eat that grain and they're also supposed to eat that meat. We've been commanded to do that. That's an important part of the ceremony. So we need to keep going forward and do that. And then verse 16 When Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found that it had been burned up, he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons. And he asked, why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the blood before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary area as I commanded. So Moses is losing it here because he goes back to them and he says, "Did you eat the meat like I told you to eat the meat?" And they say, "Oh no. 
it burned up on the altar. We, we didn't get a chance to eat it. I mean, everything's been happening. And, and, and no, we, we, we actually didn't eat the meat that we were supposed to eat. And Moses is, is about to lose it. It's like, how in the world could you let this happen? We can't make another mistake. We have to get it. Did you not see what just happened? We have to get every single thing right. God commanded us to eat that meat. And apparently Aaron is standing there because remember, Aaron's in charge now. And look at how Aaron responds. Aaron replied to Moses, Today, they sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. But such things as this have happened to me. This is a strange statement, but it could be read or it could be said this way. Unspeakable things, things that I can't even describe have happened to me today. Then Aaron asks, Would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? So Aaron is saying to Moses, bro, cut me a little slack here. Did you not see what just happened? I just lost my, I can't even, I haven't even been able to process this. And now you're telling me we have to eat the meat? Yeah, we didn't eat the meat. It burned up. I'm sorry. We made another mistake. Can you cut us a little slack here? We eat the meat of the sin offering to celebrate God's provision and God's forgiveness. Do you really think we can celebrate right now? And here's how the chapter ends. When Moses heard this, he was satisfied. When Moses heard it, he was satisfied. Now for me, the second half of this story is so helpful. It's helpful in a few ways. It's helpful because Moses seems callous at first, right? Like, just keep going. No grieving. We got to keep going. We got stuff to do. He seems so callous at first, but now you see just a little bit of compassion for Moses. Aaron's saying like, bro, yeah, we made a second mistake. I'm sorry. What do I, uh, what can I say? I can't celebrate. Like, I don't, uh, we can't do it all and get it all perfect and right right now. And apparently Moses is like, yeah, I get it. That's okay. That's okay. I think this part of the story is so helpful too, because what we see is that God doesn't demand or expect perfection. That's not what God is demanding here. And that's what you would think, or that's what you conclude if you just read the first part of the story. I mean, you read it, and these two guys do something, and we're not fully told what they did was wrong, and they die. And I don't know about you, but what I conclude from that is if you don't do it perfectly, God will be displeased and he'll kill you, right? You've got to get it perfect. You have to do everything right. But we get to the end of the story and another mistake is made, right? They don't do it the way they're supposed to. And God had commanded them to do that. This part of the ceremony would have been so important. When they eat the meat, it was symbolic that they're taking the stain of sin and it's being removed from the people and they're celebrating God's forgiveness. And they screwed that up too. And yet 
it's okay. And it seems to be because there's something about your heart when you come and do all of these things. Yes, the rituals are important. Yes, the details are important. Yes, getting everything right the way God tells you is important. But it's ultimately important that you approach it with the right heart. And for whatever reason, what what Nadab and Abihu were doing was not in the right heart. They were careless and reckless and they didn't care and they were prideful and they were arrogant. And then we get to the second half of the story and Aaron's going like, man, we're just doing the best we can today. And apparently God says, yeah, that's fine. That's all I'm asking for. I know you're going to stumble. I know you're not always going to get it right. I know you'll fall and you'll fail forward and that's okay. And you know what I see in this story? I see this underlying note of grace. That's what this is. It's God's grace. And it's always there. And if you go back and you look at Israel's history, I won't go through it, but if you read through the story of the Old Testament, it's like at every single turn in the story, there's somebody who makes this horrible mistake or screws up totally. And that's what we see. On day one of this whole system kicking off and these important leaders leading everything, day one of the people living with God and showing a new order to the world, And two of the primary leaders are drunk or they don't care or they're arrogant and they screw everything up. And I would think God would say, you know what, forget it. I'll find a new group of leaders. I'll find a new group of priests. I'll find a new people, right? But God doesn't do that. He just says, let's keep moving forward. That's okay. We'll figure it out as we go because God is relentless and he's determined and he's not going to give up that easy. And it's like there's this this base note of grace throughout the whole Old Testament. And you don't always hear it. Here's what we hear. We hear the loud electric guitar of ritual and rules and do this because God is pleased by this and don't do this because God will be mad at this. It's like, that's like the electric guitar and we hear that. But underneath it all is this note of grace that even when they screw up, God sticks with them. And God never gives up. And that's why when Jesus showed up, Jesus said to a group of Jewish leaders at the time who were almost always focused on the ritual and the rules and the demands for perfection, and he taught to a whole bunch of other people who were always ashamed and guilty because they could never meet all the demands of perfection. And Jesus would say to all of them, and he would say to us, you know what God is like? He's like a shepherd who's leading a whole bunch of sheep and the sheep go astray all the time. And God goes chasing after them like a good shepherd. And he's like a good father. He's like a father who who looks at his daughter and she screwed her life up and and he still loves her. And that doesn't change anything about their relationship. Or he looks at his son who's run away from home and comes crawling back and he says, I forgive you. I never gave up on you. I've been praying for you. I've been longing for you. I've been waiting for you. Jesus says, that's what God is like. That's the grace that's always been there. And so today I want to just ask you a few questions as we wrap up. Questions that I want you to wrestle with. Here's the first. 
Have you ever felt like God has given up on you? Or is there any point in your life right now where you feel like God has maybe given up on you? How does this story challenge that? Or is there anything in your life where you feel like you've just screwed up? And in that part of your life, you're, you're running away from God, or you're hiding from God, or you feel guilty, or you feel ashamed? He's waiting for you. And he loves you. And he's not going to punish you. Right? He's like the good father who wants to forgive you and help you turn things around. Or maybe you're here or you're listening and, and, and you feel like a leader. You feel like you're in one of those roles like the priests were. Or maybe you're not in an official role of being a leader, but you've been a Christian for a long time. And, 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 and part of your responsibility is to tell other people about the hope that you have and the grace that you've experienced to lead other people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And the first part of this story says the responsibility is really high. There's expectations placed on you. But the second part of the story says there's a whole lot of grace that comes with that too. God knows we're going to stumble and fall and fail forward. And there's always grace for that. So how do you need to lean into God's grace today? Let me pray for us and then we'll sing one more song to reflect on this. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. If we only had Leviticus and the other Old Testament books, we might have a flawed perspective. We might focus on the rules and the regulations and the details. And so, God, I thank you for the hints of your grace all throughout those stories. And I thank you for Jesus coming and making that explicit. God, you love us so much that while we were yet running away from you, you sent your son to show us what you were like and to give his life for us and to offer forgiveness and to offer a do-over, to offer a new life, to offer new hope. Help us to remember that this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen.